You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Amen. Thank you so much for that. Your Bibles this morning, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. I was sitting there thinking while Stephanie was singing that God gifted her, and I'm so glad she used those gifts to be a blessing to us. Wow, so, so wonderful. Love that song, take your candle and go find the darkness, light this world. That's what we need. The light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ needs to get to our world, and uh, that's what Missions Month is all about. We do have on the back, on one of the tables out there, I, don't, I didn't check which one, I think it's the one right outside when you leave there, we have our grace giving cards, and uh, if, you're, if you've been here a while, you're familiar with these. This uh, is our giving that goes 100% to world missions, getting the gospel to our world, and uh, we'll be taking these, picking these up at the end of the month on uh, Missions Sunday, in just two weeks from today. And so take one of these and be praying about what the Lord would have you do for missions in 2024. Is that next year? Wow. 2024, next year. And, uh, and it could be a weekly thing, a monthly thing, one-time gift, whatever it is. But uh, we want to make sure that we're giving to missions, to getting the gospel all around the world. So pick one of these up if you would, and we'll take these uh, and uh, have you get, turn them into the offering in, uh, in a couple of weeks there, just the card, not the gift, but uh, uh, we want to make sure we're getting that to you and announcing that. Deacons, we have a meeting tonight, please, at 4.15 in the conference room, and then as you're getting to 1 uh, Corinthians there, beginning a new series this morning, but I'm beginning a new series tonight as well, and the series tonight is going to be on touchy topics, dealing with things that maybe are... Uh, uh, that, that can be divisive, I guess, but uh, things that people argue about scripturally. But uh, we're going to be dealing with those things and what the Bible says about specific topics of scripture. And tonight we'll be dealing with standards and what that means and what that's talking about. And if you've heard some of those things, you'll, uh, you'll understand. But that's tonight starting that. This morning, though, I'm excited. We've got two baptisms today. That is going to be awesome. But uh, I'm excited also about this new series and we're in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be talking about the culture <coughs> excuse me, of a church that pleases God. The culture of a church that pleases God. That's our series. We're going to be looking through the book of 1 Corinthians and taking one chapter per week and uh, talking about what are some things that God looks for in his church. And let's make no mistake about it, this is Christ's church that we're in today. We belong to him, and uh, so we want to do those things which are pleasing to Christ. We don't want to be a church that's just about us, that just pleases people. No, we're about pleasing Jesus Christ because he is the head of the church. And so what type of church pleases the Lord? What are some things that pleases God in his church? And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians, and at first that may seem, for some of you familiar with the Bible, that may seem counterproductive because Corinth was not the best of places, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to, first of all, just before we get into this, define the word culture and what I mean by that. Because there's so many definitions of culture, right? We hear the word culture thrown around a lot. But one of the definitions you'll find in Merriam-Webster is this definition. It, culture is the set of shared attitudes, shared values, shared goals and practices 
that characterizes an institution or organization. So I'm going to boil it down and make it simple with just giving us four A's because we could remember things better that way. What we're talking about in the culture of a church that pleases God is that the, our culture includes our attitudes, it includes our atmosphere at church, it includes our actions at church, and our accepted beliefs at church. So we're talking about the, the culture of a church that pleases God. We're saying, what is the attitude of this church that should please God? What is the, the atmosphere of our church? What would please Christ? Uh, what is the, uh, the actions? What actions should our church be taking? And what are our accepted beliefs? So that's what we're referring to when we're talking about culture. Look, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, let me pray, and I want to tell you about the city of Corinth for a minute. Father, we're so thankful today for your goodness to us, and we're thankful for our church I'm so thankful for Gethsemane Baptist Church in North Long Beach, California. And I pray today, God, as we are now starting a new series about the culture of a church that pleases you, I pray, Lord, that we would take notice of things that make you happy, would take notice of things that you like and that you want from each of us, and that we'd be sensitive to what you're trying to say to us individually and that we would respond accordingly. Bless this time together we have this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Corinth is, was the capital city of a region called Achaia, which uh, is in Greece, and uh, it's a proud philosophical city, a proud city, a city that has to do with, with uh, they, they valued man's wisdom so much. Uh, they were proud people. There was a dependence upon human wisdom and adopting the lifestyles that were famous and popular in that day. They emphasized the messenger more than the message. Of course, you think about uh, uh, philosophers back in that day were so revered and highly regarded. Uh, Corinth was a cosmopolitan city. All kinds of different people, all kinds of different beliefs. In the church of Corinth, there were Jews and Gentiles, but even amongst the backdrop of, of the, the wicked Roman Empire at that time, who was under the Emperor Nero, who if you know anything about Nero from history, was an exceptionally wicked man, the city of Corinth, even, even amidst that backdrop, Corinth was still known as a wicked city. It was known even in that day for its moral corruption. I mean, it would, it would be the, the Las Vegas of our, uh, of our day, but, but worse really. It, it was a very wicked city. It was the home of the temple of Aphrodite or Artemis, which was the goddess of sensual love and pleasure. I mean, so you can imagine the type of things that were happening in the city of Corinth. It is said, and I've read this in, in multiple places, that a great insult back in the day of this Bible passage being written, a great insult would be to call someone a Corinthian. 
even if they were from Corinth. It was a great insult because they were known, it was derogatory, because they were known for being licentious, they were known for, for, for wickedness and moral corruption. And so to call someone that would be like calling someone, uh, 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 you know, in our terminology, a reprobate or something like that that was just, uh, you know, you have no character, no morals whatsoever. Uh, the church in Corinth was situated in a wicked city because it was there. It was a church that was defiled. It was a church that was divided. And it was a church that was disgraced. They were not pleasing to God. And so Paul, now we don't know how many, how many letters Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. We know he wrote two, but he could have wrote many other letters. But he wrote two letters to this church of, of believers that he had a, a great part in their life to correct several things going on in that church. He wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, to correct several issues that were going on in that church, which we'll see throughout this series. And then he wrote 2 Corinthians later on to correct them misinterpreting the first letter and to correct some of the same things. But I want you to see in 1 Corinthians here the problem that he addresses first. And there are many problems. But the problem that he addresses first is the problem of division. Not mathematics, division, multiplication, numerators, denominators, all that stuff. I'm sure you all loved algebra. I'm sure you all love geometry and, and calculus and all that good stuff. But we're talking about divisions within the people. We're talking about a disunity amongst the people of God. Would you look at it with me here? Look, if you would, at, at chapter 1. We're going to skip down here to verse number 10, getting right past there the introduction, which is verses 1 through 9. And Paul starts in at verse 10. Now I beseech you, I mean, I beg you, I beg you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, notice this phrase, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So we see there are some divisions here. What were they divided about? Where did the disunity come from? I want you to see, first of all, they were there because of agreements. Well, I guess it would be disagreements, but agreements. They, they, they could not agree on things. Look at verse 10 again. It says there that you speak the same thing. In other words, that, that you have agreement in your doctrine, that you have agreement in, in, in what your focus is, that you have agreement in what the main things are about the church, that you speak the same thing and have no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. Being perfectly joined together is the exact opposite of division. Perfectly joined together means unity. Division means disunity. And Paul is saying there, look, you guys can't agree on anything. Have you ever noticed that people in church have different opinions on things? Have you ever noticed in marriage that your spouse may have different opinions on things than you do? Oh, no, pastor. We agree on absolutely everything. Liar! One of you is anyway. But how dare people disagree with our opinions, right? How dare they disagree with our opinions? Now, we have disagreements in our church. We have division in our church because we've got a lot of Dodger fans in here. I'm telling you what, there's division in our church. There is animosity. 
We've got, we've got our Dodger. We just hired a Giants fan. We got Brother Gary's a Giants fan. Brother Jason's a Giants fan. And I know, you're, I know you Dodger fans want to stone them later. Okay, we don't do that anymore. That's not a practice we practice anymore. I'm a Cubs fan. I was, I'm, I, you know, live my teenage years in Illinois. And we probably even have, now if we have any Brewer fans in here, you're, ex, you're excommunicated immediately, okay? We can't have no Milwaukee Brewer fans in here. But, but you, you, and that's a small microcosm. And we laugh and we joke about it. But do you know that there are churches that split over stupid, silly things like that? Now, now, we don't have division about those things. We laugh, and when the Dodgers win the World Series, it seems like they're always in the World Series. They just can't get it done. But they did it a couple years ago, and, uh, and I know there was cheating and all that. Like, but, when they, but when you guys, when you win, which you did win, and you'll probably win again soon, I get to hear the brunt of it, and I take it like a champ. Why? Because it's in good fun. It's in good fun. And in 116 years, when the Cubs win again, I'm going to rub it in your faces, Okay. But it's all good fun. But, but this is a serious thing where Paul is saying, you guys can't even get on the same page about anything. And there's divisions among you because you can't agree. Now listen, you may not agree about which food is the best. You may not agree about which baseball team is the best. You may not agree about which uh, a profession is better than another or whatever. But there are things in church that we should all be agreeing on. We should be agreeing that this is the final authority of all matters of faith and practice. We should be agreeing that prayer is essential for the Christian life. We should be agreeing that Jesus is Lord. We should be agreeing that salvation is only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not about works. It's not about baptism. It's not about going to church. It's not about anything else. It's about believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's biblical. That's, those are things we got to agree on we got to agree on those things. So they're divided because of agreements and disagreements. They're divided because of their affections. Look at verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe. I read that every time and I think, man, Chloe, the house of Chloe, they narked on these people, man. They snitched on them. They, they said, but that there are contentions among you. Paul is saying, look, the people in Chloe's house, they told me. That there's contentions among you. You know what contentions are? It's strife. It's, it's conflict. It's fighting. That's what contention is. It's fighting. And Paul is saying, you guys are fighting. Where is the brotherly love? Where is the affection for your brother and sister in Christ? And you guys are divided because you have gone past what godly love is. And, and, and loving your brother and loving your sister in Christ, and you're no longer doing that. And because of that, there's divisions. And, and because of that, because you have, have lost the godly love that you're supposed to have for your family in Christ, now there's divisions among you. They also are divided because of their attachments. Look at verse 12. Here's, this is what they were arguing about. Look at this. Look at verse 12. Now this I say. That every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, or Peter, and I of Christ. What are they doing there? What they're doing is choosing sides. They're choosing sides. They're forming parties within the church. 
They're forming cliques within the church. They're dividing their loyalties between different leaders. And they're saying, oh yeah? Paul's my guy. I'm of Paul. Beat that. Oh yeah? I'm of Peter. The other guys are like, forget you. I'm of Jesus. And so, so we'll talk about that in just a minute. But their, their, their attachments, who they attach themselves to, they're divided over these things. So, well, what, why do people divide today in churches? Anything and everything. People have become very petty. Have you noticed this? We become so petty sometimes that we divide over simple, silly things. I have read of churches. These are true things. I've read of a church that split because they had an argument and a division over which side of the platform the piano player should sit on. And it's funny and sad at the same time. Who cares? If we said, let's move the piano over to this side, and someone's like, I'm leaving. Why? Was it a doctrinal thing? No, I just like to be able to see Stephanie, and I sit over here. What in the world? Move your seat. Why are we split? That is the silliest thing. No, it has to be the left side. No, it has to be the right. It has to be. People split over that. I say sit on the side where the piano is. Who wants to move that thing, right? That's who, so who can But church has split over that. A church split over the Lord's Supper being served front to back or back to front. We have the Lord's Supper every month here. We had it last week. We serve front to back. I didn't know this could potentially be a problem for anyone. But apparently, it's not like the wafer is going to get stale by the time it gets to the back. It's already stale. It's 10 years old. Oh, this juice is not, it's, it's lukewarm. It's all lukewarm. What's going on with, the, with, with churches today? I read about a church that divided because they couldn't decide which pastor was the real pastor. I don't even know what that means. I read that and thought, I don't understand. Was there a robot pastor? And they're like, mm, that's AI, that's human. Oh, I, I, what is that even? Who was the real pastor? People divide over silly things today. But I want to show you from Scripture just very quickly this morning. How can we have unity? What does it take? What does it take to have unity in a church? What is necessary to get rid of divisions in the church? Number one, I want you to see in verses 11 through 16, I want you to see that holiness is required. Holiness. If we want to have no divisions in our church, there needs to be holiness in God's church. Look at verse 11 quickly here. Verse through, through, we, we read verses 11 and 12, and 13, or 11 and 12 where, they, where Paul is saying, you're saying I'm of Paul and I'm of Paul and so I'm of Cephas. Look at verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? This is Paul speaking, by the way. Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? No. I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. 
lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name, and I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So what's he, what's he saying here? The, the argument they were having was based upon who is more important, who is more prominent, who, who has the, the better position within the church. It would be like saying, Brother Daharo is my favorite, and Brother Daharo is the speaker that I follow and, 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 and most admire. And then someone else is like, no, 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 Brother Scott is my favorite. Brother Scott makes award-winning cheesecakes. And I follow Brother Scott's teaching. Oh, no, it's, it's Doug Weldon for me, the aged wisdom of that man. That's the one that I follow. And then there's the other group. Well, I'm just in God's group. You know what Paul is saying? Why are you making groups? Why is there a group? Why is there a Daharo group or a Scott group or a Well? Why is there a group? Stop grouping. You say, well, you group for Sunday school classes here. Of course we do. We have Sunday school classes. Yes, but we're all still one church. The Cambodian ministry is Gethsemane Baptist Church. The Hispanic ministry is Gethsemane Baptist Church. The, the Filipino, Mabuhai class, is Gethsemane Baptist Church. We're all Gethsemane Baptist Church. There's no division. There's no disunity. There's no fighting within there. Me and Brother Lee are not fist fighting over who's leading the Cambodian ministry. We're all one. We're all in this thing together. Listen, listen, we should be seeking to be right with God, not just seeking to be right. That's what we do so often. We just try to be right. I'm right, you're wrong. Ha, I proved it there. No, no, we should be seeking to be right with God, not being right above somebody else. See, the first problem he's dealing with is a problem of sin, and it's always the problem is sin. Paul goes on, and he's going to address several problems. He's going to talk about, I mean, some really disgusting sins that are happening. He's going to address that in chapter 5. I mean, he's going to talk about some, some, some weird stuff. He's going to talk about Christians going to law against each other. He's going to be talking about a lot of stuff in this book, but it's all about pride. Only, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention or fighting. Only by pride is there fighting among you. In the book of James, chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Where does the wars and fightings come among God's people? Come they not hence even of the, uh, your lust that war in your members? Your desire for, to be better than somebody else? Your desire to be prominent? Your desire to be right? Your desire to, uh, to be popular? Whatever it may be. Those bad desires are causing division. The problem is sin. The reason why fights happen is sin. The reason why divisions happen is sin. The reason why discord happens is sin. The reason why disunity happens in church is sin. A pastor by the name of John Brown from 100 years ago said, Holiness does not consist in mystic speculations, enthusiastic fervors, or uncommanded austerities. It consists in thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. We, we hear the word holiness, and we think about some monk in a temple in Tibet on a mountain. That's not holy. That's not what the Bible talks about, holiness. When we refer to God's holiness, it means that he is completely without sin. Not a trace of sin. He cannot sin. He is God. There is no sin in him. There's no wrong in him. That is holiness. And God says, 
Be ye holy, for I am holy. So God expects us to be growing in holiness. If we want to have a church that has unity, we want to have a church that has no, no disharmony within it, no disunity, no discord, we have to be a people that is striving for holiness before God. But can I say, secondly, if we're going to have a church, a culture in our church, an atmosphere that, uh, that is pleasing to God, there not only has to be holiness, but there has to be harmony. There has to be harmony. Look at verses 17 through 25 here. Just, we'll just read quickly. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. You guys are obsessed with wisdom and, and man's wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the wisdom of uh, uh, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign. So the Jewish people were obsessed with signs. What's the sign of your coming, Jesus? And the Greeks seek after wisdom. Oh, what is the wisest, smartest thing philosophy can give us? But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Harmony. What am I talking about when I say harmony here? Harmony in music is beautiful. My wife and I went to a teen camp over the summer, went to three teen camps over the summer, went to a teen camp in Northern California, there was a family singing. I think family singing are great because their voices usually blend so much better because they come from the same DNA. And uh, there was this family singing at Mount Zion. Now they came up, this was, this was a, a, a farming community. They were not professional singers, but they came up there and it was like six or seven of them. It was one of the best music groups I've heard in years. This family just got up there and sang a couple songs it was fantastic. I mean, their voices blended. They were doing parts. They had practice. There was a guy on the piano just pounding away. They were singing out nice and loud. They were giving an amen, throwing a hand up. And I was like, whoo, man, that sounds good. Why? Harmony. Their voices were working together. And that's what harmony means. Harmony means things are working together to produce something pleasant. It, uh, the word harmony actually means agreement or accord. When something, though, is in disharmony, it is not pleasant. Have you ever heard music like that? I'm sure a lot of you just love polka music. You know, that's probably a thing that you love and enjoy. But, uh, you know, th th there's some music that, that, you know, you hear and it's just something's off. It's like this person singing in this key and this person singing in this key and the piano's playing in this key, but this, the guitar is playing in this key. If something is off. That's disharmony. That's not pleasant. The word discord is the opposite of harmony. It means a lack of agreement, a lack of, of harmony. You know, in the list of things that God hates, God gives a list, by the way. In Proverbs chapter 6, he gives a list of things that he hates. And the last thing that he says in the list of things that God hates is, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. 
The person that is sowing disharmony, the person that is causing division, the person that is purposely trying to separate into groups, that God hates. So where does harmony come from in these verses? Listen to this carefully. Harmony comes through working together for the same cause. Did you see what Paul is saying here? He says, you guys are arguing. You guys are dividing over, oh, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Cephas, or, 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 or Peter. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Christ. And he said, Paul, God did, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And it's the gospel that this world needs. And it's the gospel that is rejected. But it's the gospel that's going to make a difference. What's he doing? He's saying, let's all come together in agreement for the same purpose. The gospel. The gospel. And that's what we need to do. The gospel must be the focus. Not us. We, and we ought to agree on this. Come together on this and say, hey, I, I can have unity with a church that is preaching the gospel message. It's saying that, that the gospel needs to go out. That the, the, the message of salvation from Jesus Christ, that's the main thing. And that's what I'm going to uh, uh, put my, my, uh, uh, my stock in. And that's what I'm going to subscribe to is getting the gospel out. Paul is saying, hey, why are we fighting? Let's get busy working the fields together. You, you want to learn how to get together, how, how to get along with somebody? Get out there for the same cause and start working. You know, you, you people say, the enemy of, of my enemy is my friend. It's so amazing. Like, I, I, I've referenced sports before, but it's so amazing that even in the world of sports, like if we mutually hate the same team, all of a sudden we're okay. Now, if we hate, uh, I hate your team and you hate my team and we're like, ah, but then this team wins, we're both like, you know, we can agree, we hate this team, you know, but uh, there's something about it. And when we may have differences of opinion, we may have differences in preferences, but if we get out together and get the gospel out to our community, it's going to solve a lot of problems. Getting the gospel out. Paul said in Philippians 1.27 that you stand fast in one spirit. With one mind, striving, working together for the faith of the gospel. Striving together, work together with one mind, with one spirit for the faith of the gospel. That's a church culture that pleases Christ. When we have a lot of different people with maybe a lot of different opinions we don't have to share with one another. We can agree that, hey, we can be in harmony about this. That our church needs to get the gospel to our community. And our church needs to get the gospel to the world. And Paul is saying holiness and harmony are two essentials for a church that pleases God. Now, I didn't even give you the title of this lesson. But the first thing, I, I guess it was on the screen there. The first thing that, that a culture of a church that pleases God that we see in chapter 1 is agreement among the attenders. That's what, that was the main thought there, okay? Agreement among the attenders. That is something that God requires. But I want to just give you the last thing here, and then we'll get to the baptisms. How to have unity within our church. Holiness. Get rid of the sin that causes disunity. Harmony. Work together for the same cause. And lastly, humility. Look at verses 26 through 31. Humility. These verses God used in my life in a great way when I first got into church. I didn't feel like I had anything to offer God. Still don't feel like I have much. But these verses helped me. Verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren. 
how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many noble are called. You guys are obsessed, Corinthians. You're obsessed with these philosophers. But you notice not a lot of them are being used of God. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things, or the inferior, insignificant things of the world, and the things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and, and things which are not, to bring to naught, or to bring to nothing, things that are. Why? Why does God use the weak things? Why does God use the base things? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. <clears throat> what does God use? God uses the foolish things. God uses the weak things. God uses the base things, the things which are despised and the things which are not. If you'd put it this way, you could say God prefers the nobodies over the somebodies. God prefers the nobodies over the somebodies. In other words, the people that, that think, I'm somebody. Of course God would want to make me, you know, the head of a church or the head of an organization. That's not who God's looking for. God's looking for the one that says, I don't even know if God can use me. But I'm willing to serve. God is looking for the weakness that comes through humility. Arrogant people are hard to work with. You know, you work with them. Arrogant people are hard to work with. They know everything. They're never wrong. They refuse to learn anything. And they refuse to see anybody's point of view. That, an arrogant person, that's not who God uses. That's who God humbles. You understand that? That, that, arrogant, that? that arrogancy should not come into the church. Because that's not something God uses. That's something God humbles. When we see pride like that. God, can I say this? God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me to accomplish his purpose, but he wants us. Can I say that again? God doesn't need us, but he wants us, and that should humble us. So You know, God could, God could easily take me out of the position I'm in and replace me with somebody a lot better, but God wants me. That's humbling. What a great God. What a wonderful God we have. It's like that story I heard of a pastor who was leaving a church, and he was leaving a church to become the pastor of another church, and I've told this joke before, but I love it. And a kind old member came to him crying and said, Pastor, things will never be the same. And the pastor said, don't worry, I'm confident you'll get a new pastor who's a lot better than me. The old lady crying said, that's what the last three pastors have said, but it keeps just getting worse. Humbling. God sends people to do that to you. Well, I think I should have the prominent jobs. I think I should get the attention. Just remember that Jesus knelt and washed his disciples' feet. You want that job? Well, I should get, have the prominent position. Remember that Jesus went and touched the lepers. You want that job? Just remember that Jesus took your cross up the hill and died on it for you. You want that job? Look at verses 29 through 31 and we're done that no flesh should glory in his presence. Verse 31, that according as it is written, <clears throat> he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Remember that God gets the glory for everything done. Stop worrying about credit. 
and give it all to Jesus. If we're going to have a church that pleases God, I don't know of any major issues in our church. I really don't. I'm sure there are small disagreements. I'm sure that somebody thinks this could be run better or that within ministries and different things, and I understand that. But we don't backbite. We don't sow discord. We don't form factions and parties. We don't do that. We're not going to do that in our church. We're not going to do that. We're going to say, you know what? We're all in this thing together because the gospel needs to get out. This world needs the Lord Jesus Christ. God put us here to help get that message out. So I want to just ask today, if there's something between you and somebody else, why don't you go to that person and make it right? Is there something that maybe you're starting to form some cliques and you're always with these people and no one else is included? Let's stop that. Can we get together and and work together, strive together for the faith of the gospel? Then I just say lastly, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the first step. Is you have to come to Christ knowing you don't deserve salvation and that if you died right now in your sin without Christ, you'd go to hell to pay for your sin. Because that's what we all deserve. But Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us, to take our sin upon him. And if we will turn to him in faith and believe what he did for us and ask for for, uh, forgiveness and salvation, he will give it to us. Father, I pray that you'd help us.